Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery, be it with addictive cravings, depression and anxiety, or improving sleep. Founded and run by a father-son team, both in recovery, this issue is personal for them. Learn more at exactnature.com, and as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive a 20% discount at purchase. Again, TSD20 at exactnature.com. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 85 and the season three finale of the Sobriety Diaries. I am in awe of all of you who come back week after week, download the episodes, and that have helped me to create this community of addiction and more importantly, recovery that has helped thousands of individuals and that I continually hear from listeners of this show that have either been motivated to seek recovery or dig themselves out of a relapse or help a family member to seek a path to recovery, any and all of the above. And that is because of you. And I could not be more grateful for each and every one of you. I am eternally grateful and most times have trouble formulating words to express that gratitude. Today, I want to do something special and look back at some of the highlights from season three, share a few clips of very vulnerable and important moments throughout the season, and then wrap things up and let you know when to expect me again. We will be back for season four of the Sobriety Diaries, without a doubt, and I can't wait to share season four with you. But let's jump in to a few of my favorite moments from season three. Sober Day friends, welcome to the Sobriety Diaries. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic seven years from my last drink. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who lived them. Check us out at thesobrietydiaries.com for all things podcast related. And for all our video interviews, head over to youtube.com slash Nate Kelly. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. First, I want to start with my dear friend, Lizzie, and take a look back at how her prescription pill addiction evolved into fentanyl patches, fentanyl lollipops, and had really taken control of her life until one day when she had a moment of clarity and decided to take herself to detox. Let's listen to Lizzie. I had actually already called the Cleveland Clinic to get into a functional medicine doctor that my pain doctor had suggested when I first brought this up as I was doing my research. And I had to wait 10 months for that appointment. But, um, that appointment was coming up, I think, in August or September. Once I got into that appointment, 
I had just made the decision. So with when you're with pain management, you can make the decision to take three months of prescriptions at once. But if you do that, you're discharged. So you can't go back to them. And so I had made the decision before the functional medicine appointment to do the three months of prescriptions. And I really didn't plan on doing the full three months. I thought I was going to go immediately after I saw functional medicine and got like, you know, I wanted all my bases covered. I'm the type of person like I have to know everything about something before I jump in. So um, Lizzie is quite the researcher. (laughs) (laughs) The hyper focus is real. (laughs) Yeah. I was afraid of tapering down. I was on so much medication. It would have taken forever. Yeah. Um, And obviously I'm about instant gratification. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, It would have taken so long. And also at that point, when it comes to addiction, I had not yet kind of crossed over to like a hardcore mental addiction. So I was very physically addicted. Like I would have withdrawal symptoms if I didn't take the medication, not even like trying to not take it just like in between doses. It's like different, you know, when you're, you know, I mean, as it wears off, I guess, um, I knew I wanted to do it all at once. I knew I needed to go someplace inpatient because I didn't, I knew I didn't have the strength to weather that storm alone, you know? Same. So the goal was to get my body to a place where I could most efficiently and successfully detox inpatient. So they gave me like this really strict nutrition guide. Like we started shopping at Whole Foods, (laughs) um, So I, and they recommend, oh, and they put me on all these supplements, tons of supplements, like detox support. And was this leading up to the detox or, okay. So they recommended that I do it for a month, that if I did the food and the supplements for one month before I went into the medication detox, my body would be the best setup to, to go through the detox from the medication. Cause I knew it was going to be hell. Like, yeah. And I remember I checked in on December December 8th, I was prepared for what I would go through in those three months that I would be in agonizing pain. Um, but up until I got put into pain management, like that was part of surviving was just right. figuring out because you, you don't always have pain medicine, you know? So um, that was the goal. Cold turkey. I don't know. I was losing my mind. I The, the discomfort of withdrawal is so especially for everything I was on. Like it was just so intense and I had added to it and I still didn't know what was happening to me at the time. I thought that these people didn't believe me, like that they couldn't possibly understand what I was going through. Now afterwards, I know that I was going through a lot more than what people go through because I did the precipitated withdrawals and the, this antipsychotic that made me crazy. Yeah. It's such a good thing that they don't let you leave. Like honestly, the best the best um, policy. Yeah. That, <laughs> that whole incident, I feel like was kind of in a way a gift because I was given, I was basically sedated yeah. during the worst part. What I thought was what I experienced as the worst part of withdrawal. They say that it peaks after like 72 hours um, withdrawal. And it was, it wasn't a walk in the park when I was there. Um, but after that point, I only took like three or four doses of the Subutex and I was allowed to have it like every four to six hours. And I was there for seven days and I only took like four doses of it total. And the 
doctors were just kind of like, wow, like we've never seen somebody accelerate through this so quickly, you know, especially with the amount of medication you were on. Wow. So powerful. Thank you for sharing, Lizzie. I love you. Let's move on to my pal, Mike. Mike has transformed his life, both physically, mentally, and has built a fitness coaching business that is thriving. You can uh, see the pictures on his Instagram, but it wasn't always so positive. Let's listen to Mike as he talks about the long-term recovery program and his sober living house. I'm introverted. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a shy guy and I didn't really want to put it all out there. But once I did, um, you know, it, the response was pretty cool. And I, I believe that if you found something that works for you, it's pretty selfish to not share it. You know, I'm not sure if you go through this, but sometimes I'm like, does anybody even relate to yeah. this? Wait. <laughs> Every week when I press play on an episode. <laughs> all right. It's like, what am I doing? And even, you know, if it's, if it's just one person, uh, you say something at the right time uh, and they need to hear it, you know? Um, so it's really more about them than it is about us or how I feel about doing or not wanting to talk about it on a certain day or whatever. I had a contact out here, somebody that I was still uh, connected with. He was like, come back out. Uh, I'll get you into a detox and to a sober living. Um, so that's, that's what led up to it. Uh, just a couple years of running and gunning. Um, and up to that point, I, I, I had two years sobriety. I was working in treatment, uh, relapsed, was out for another couple of years. Um, and that was kind of the end of the line for me. Sometimes we get just to that point where it's, we, we have to throw our hands up, right? It, oh, yeah. It's just to the, to the end of the rope. And we are down to just a couple choices. In the rims, they say jail institutions are death, but right. I feel like in some cases it's, it's even fewer choices than that. So I had nothing left at that point. To, I mean, it was, and, and I was thinking about this before I came on here. You know, just you get to that place where you've done things you've never thought you'd do, yeah. and, and you're just kind of like, how did, how did I end up here? <laughs> it's kind of baffling like sure. how far how far down we can go thank you so much for sharing mike such a powerful story let's move on to my friend odette who you know from the recovery elevator we had such a powerful connection when i recorded my episode uh, of the recovery elevator that i just had to have her on the sobriety diaries and her alcoholism really started as an eating disorder and evolved into alcohol use disorder. So let's listen to Odette. You know, I do believe that a lot of the knowledge that is already out there for us, like it starts, the relapse starts in your brain. Like you're thinking about it before it even happens. You're, you're not thinking about drinking. I think a relapse starts with entertaining the idea. And the thing that I feel like stops a lot of us is that when we're at that stage of entertaining the idea, that's not when we go and seek for help. We seek for help later. I had a big meltdown and I decided to check into rehab at like 20, I think it was 24. It was outpatient because I would drive there, stay the whole day, drive home, work shifts at the restaurant. I went to school for restaurant management and mm. I weirdly love food. 
Yeah. For someone who really struggled with an eating disorder, it's a big part of my culture, a big part of my family and our traditions. So that's how I kind of started the more serious recovery process through rehab because I had done therapy for many years. I'm a big proponent of it and uh, got better. I was that person who was, you know, thinking and saying, I need to hurry the F up in rehab because I can't afford to come back here. It's expensive. And I don't want to waste my time. And I've always been that straight A, just get it done right student. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. No questions asked, which is a big red flag now for me when I think about, (laughs) you know, children, my children who don't ask any questions. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have questions? What are your concerns? What are your doubts? You know? Um, Anyway, so I did kind of ace recovery because it was important for me to get in a healthy mindset. I really wanted a family. We wanted kids. And I was obviously not getting pregnant for a while, attempt after attempt. I knew exactly why that was happening. Um, But I did end up getting pregnant and conceiving maybe six months after I left treatment. So I am very still indebted and grateful to my body because I know I wasn't being kind to my body at all. You know, I was starting to kind of lose my periods during some months, which is a big sign in the eating disorder world of like, you're really, you know, affecting your insides because I also fall in that, like, you don't look like you have an eating disorder, but your organs, um, my organs were starting to fail in that sense for sure. And all of that time working through the reps that come with eating disorder recovery, which is kind of like, you confront your addiction every single meal. Thanks so much, Odette. I always love when we get to chat. One of the biggest hurdles in starting a podcast can be the overwhelming thought of all of the technology. Let me tell you, don't let it stop you especially in the beautiful online recovery space, we could really save lives. So if you have a message that you want to share and a story that you want to tell, the Podcast Host Academy can help you get there. Inside the Podcast Host Academy, you'll find courses on everything from equipment, software and editing, to presentation skills and vocal warm-ups. Click the link in today's show notes for an additional 15% off your subscription to the Podcast Host Academy and Alitu.com. That is Alitu, A-L-I-T-U.com. Okay, on to my new bestie, Courtney Anderson. You know her as the host of the Sober Vibes podcast. I will also link my episode of her show in today's show notes so you can listen to my full interview with her. But let's listen as Courtney talks about becoming a new mom in recovery. This is not just like, oh, well, that's just me. Fuck it. Let's continue drinking. It's like, no, why do you feel that way? Or why? And it goes back to ego work too. It's like every year in my my sobriety and recovery, there's been something different I've had to work on. Mm. Or the, you know, and even too, after uh, being a new mom, I'm like, God damn, this this (laughs) This mother, no fucking joke. (laughs) Right. And then it's like, oh, that mother wound is not healed yet. Mm. So it's, and it's just interesting. So I just think in, in life and anybody is whether you're sober or not, like, you know, cause there's people out there who just don't actually want to be healthy, whether they're sober or not, they don't want to be a healthy, but what helps in the sobriety process is continually to learn. 
yes. keep learning and keep growing. I was listening to women wanting more. And during that time, I was like, even for myself, I was like, there's got to be more. And the online groups that I were a part of at that time, I'll never forget this. I went through um, you know, six years of, of trying to conceive my son. And I remember speaking in this Facebook group on a post and I dropped an F-bomb. And then this old troll said to me that she, Fuck. she <laughs> said, that's why you shouldn't be a mom because of your, your swearing. Oh. And I was like, Fuck this. Oh I'm not going to be a Right, because I'm not going to surround myself with a bunch of miserable addicts mm. and alcoholics. Come on, right. So this all happened all around the same time, and including myself. I was like, I need something more. You know, I've always been a pretty optimistic person, and I've always seen the world a little bit, you know, in, in a, just a different light of just seeing that there's, you know, a little bit more happiness. Because I do think happiness is a choice. And I wanted that for sobriety and recovery and sitting there listening. I was like, this shit can't be all doom and gloom all the time, man. Right. We, didn't, we didn't just get sober to sit here and then rehash stories. Having a pissy match of like who had the <laughs> right. worst rock bottom and still living in that. So in that summer, I started doing these meetups with women that I knew in AA called, I, I started it and it was called the Sober Social Club. And we met mm. up like once a, once a month for about three, four months. And then it kind of just got hard with schedules. And then that transitioned within that to transition into Sober Vibes and creating more of the online community and making it more empowering, supporting, really meeting people with where they're at in their journeys, because nobody is on the same path here. There's people who relapse every day. So should you kick them, kick them to the curb because they had a bump in their road? Absolutely not. Right. So really supporting and empowering you in your journey. God, she cracks me up. I could talk to Courtney all day. As I could with Angela Pugh, she has such a mesmerizing voice, but let's listen as Angela had a moment of clarity on the side of a highway. So I had my, you know, quintessential rock bottom moment. I actually had several. <laughs> <laughs> One of them finally stuck, but okay. you know, I would have a moment that I thought should be rock bottom. And then who knew rock bottom had a basement, Absolutely. you know, and we just sink lower. Yep. But um, I did have my my really major rock bottom moment one night leaving a bar after drinking all night with all my friends. And on my drive home, um, I hit another car at 70 miles an hour on mm. the freeway. And there was a moment that I thought I had killed that person that I, that I had hit. And I don't remember a ton of details. Obviously, I was not in my right mind. But one of the moments that was so powerful for me was... I was standing there on the side of the freeway and I was looking at all the wreckage and the flashing lights and just all the chaos, right? And then there was me who, you know, I was in my skirt and heels because uh, because I always thought I was so cool. <laughs> and the thing was, I, I didn't do anything different that night, right? I went with the, I went out with the same people. We went to the same places. I was driving the same route. There was nothing different. And all of a sudden I'm standing there staring at all this chaos and thinking in my head, like, 
oh my gosh, I have to call my mom and tell her I killed somebody. Like, how do you have that conversation? Ooh, you know, yeah. the second thing was I found out that that guy I hit was not hurt. Thankfully, Thank he God. was okay. I was actually the only one hurt. Um, but the second really powerful moment was thinking in my head, I couldn't believe I was walking away from this accident, right? <laughs> and I thought there must be something else I'm meant to do because I am trying my hardest to die <laughs> and I keep not dying. So powerful. Thank you. Angela, for being so open and honest always. We're going to finish things off today with my friend and author, Laura. You just heard her episode last week, and she is launching her book, Stash. So I wanted to just highlight my conversation about what motivated her to put her story into black and white and publish a book. I wrote Stash in a really sensorial way so that basically I drop you into my body mm. at the beginning of a 10 month period. That's what it covers is 10 months of my life in the year 2008. Um, at the beginning of this time, I'm filing for divorce. I'm deep into a pill and alcohol addiction. I'm PTA president. I've just been asked to join the board at my children's very, very posh independent school. I am, you know, the black representative in most of the white spaces I inhabit. So I have this, this idea that I need to be excellent in all of it because I'm representing all black people at school and it, in my tennis lessons and at Barney's where we're all shopping. It's like, <laughs> it's a very privileged life. Um, and I am often the only black person that any of them kind of, the, the people that I'm surrounded with that they socialize with. So I have all that going on and I was in a, a high-profile marriage and that was ending um, quite painfully. And my solace at the time was that I could check out at night with, with drugs and alcohol, that I could get through these days, which were just like we were talking about before the interview started, very packed days where I had to, very performative days where I showed up for people. Mm. For my kids, for the school, for my for my um, you know soon to be ex husband, and after showing up for all these people, I felt like that was the way I could treat myself. Um, for those of you who are just listening, I'm putting that in air quotes. And <laughs> um, my treat was just you know I just wanted oblivion. I just wanted to be knocked out and not feel anything for eight hours. And <laughs> um, it was very seductive to me that idea. I I ended up chasing it. You know the way that the way that people in addiction, all kinds of addiction chase anything, whether right. it's food or sex or shopping or gambling, um, there's a fix, you know, that, that we chase. Like I can, you know, if I can get that fixed then I'll feel okay. And, uh, you know, it was at the expense of being a good mom. It was at the expense of my commitments to all these different communities. It was at the expense of my marriage. And, and what happened was it was beginning to be at the expense of my life. I, I understood that as my tolerance built, I was taking increasing larger dose, doses and needed them. Um, so I made a decision. The book starts in, um, I think it starts in March of 2008. So in July of 2008, I make a decision to go to treatment. 
uh, and that treatment center is is the Meadows in in Wickenburg, Arizona. Thanks so much, Laura. I adore you and always love catching up. Call me. That's all for episode 85, friends of the Sobriety Diaries. As promised, you can expect season four of the Sobriety Diaries coming back to wherever you get your podcasts on May 31st. I'll see you there. Thank you so much for the support and for downloading every week, coming back and giving me the confidence to turn the microphone on every week. Eternally grateful. I'll see you on May 31st. Bye for now, friends. Thank you so much for listening today, friends. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check today's show notes for all the information discussed in the episode and how to connect with our guest. And as always, check us out at thesobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, and on Instagram at the Sobriety Diaries Pod. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show, friends. It truly helps other people to find the show. And in turn, we can help more people. Until next Wednesday, try your best not to drink and be good to yourselves. Bye, everyone.